Well, when I was a little girl, I had a great imagination. I could spend, and I was going to try to find a picture, I just ran out of time, but I could spend hours in the backyard playing by myself. And I was not playing dolls. I had two big brothers who never played dolls. But I would play, I was fighting battles all the time. And so there would be one day, or I would be a cowgirl. And I would be out there dressed in my cowboy boots and my cowboy hat. And I had my guns and my holster around my waist. And I would be shooting at the, the Indians or whoever I was fighting. The next day, I was an astronaut because that was something I wanted to be when I was a little girl. I wanted to go into outer space. So there would be days I was the astronaut and I was fighting the aliens and I would pull the hose out and spray my chemical stuff out at the aliens and fight. And then there were days that I also wanted to be a CIA agent. And so there were days that I was a spy or working for the CIA, and I was trying to kill the enemies of the U.S. And so I would climb and scale my daddy's truck and get on the top of the truck, pretending I was scaling skyscrapers. I loved fighting those battles, and... I could spend hours doing it by myself with make-believe enemies and make-believe weapons. And I always won. But as adults, we fight battles every day. But they're not make-believe battles. They're very real, and we have to be prepared and ready to fight them. And the question for you to consider this week is, are you battle-ready? Are you ready to fight that battle? Well, this week we studied 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. And again, um, these chapters were full of material. Uh, I hope you don't mind being here for two hours today as I teach. (laughs) But in these two chapters, Paul reminds us of two battles that we all face in life. The battle for our money and the battle for our minds. And so today, we're going to take a closer look at these two battles and how we can become battle-ready. And let me just give you a little um, uh, heads up. It's going to seem like I'm spending a lot of time on the first battle, and I am, but don't panic because I don't spend this much time on the second battle. So when you think, oh, we're going to be here till 1 o'clock, no, we're not. So... So let's jump in the battle for our money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We began looking at this issue of giving last week in chapter uh, 8 as Heather taught and, and spoke on the whole issue of giving. And the Corinthians had zealously committed to collecting a generous offering for the believers in Jerusalem. But for some reason, their, their enthusiasm, their zeal for taking up that collection had waned. And Paul was concerned that they weren't going to follow through with their commitment to give. You know, obviously the false teachers played a role in getting them sidetracked. They were spreading lies about Paul, um, putting doubts in the Corinthians' minds about his motives. They were probably saying things like, Don't give your money to Paul. He's not going to give it to the Jerusalem church. He's going to pocket that money for himself. Or they might have been putting doubts in their mind about, ooh, you need to hang on to your money. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You might need that money. 
or give it to us, and we'll be sure to take care of you if a need. I mean, we don't know what was being said, but obviously they were putting doubts in the minds of the Corinthians about giving. They were putting fears there. And so Paul was concerned about the Corinthians not following through with their commitment to collect a generous offering for that church in Jerusalem. And he had bragged about the Corinthians to the church in Macedonia such that they gathered an offering together. The Corinthian church had spurred them on to do the same thing, and Paul had just bragged about them. And so he was concerned that they were going to go back on their word, that they were going to bring shame to themselves or to him as he had put his confidence in them. And so he sent some brothers on ahead to Corinth before he came because he wanted these brothers to help them get that gift together and help them prepare for that gift. The Corinthians were struggling with giving, and so do we sometimes. Giving our money can be a battle. And so let's look at three things to help us fight this battle for our money. Three things to help us become battle-ready for the battle for our money. So let's look first at the attitude. Verse 7. You know, what attitude should we have in our giving to make us battle-ready? Well, verse 7 says, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. um, says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In that one verse, we see three characteristics of the heart attitude that pleases God with our giving. The first characteristic is give purposefully. Each one, he says at the beginning of that verse, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. That term translated purposed indicates a premeditated, predetermined plan of action. It's not done impulsively, just, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Each Corinthian believer was to decide and pray and ask, God, how much do you want me to give? It wasn't to be an impulsive decision. It was to be a deliberate decision. This was to be intentional, planned giving. And Paul had already told them in 1 Corinthians 16, in his first letter, he had already told them, lay aside some money every week for this collection. So the first characteristic of of being battle-ready in our giving is to have the right attitude or, or to, and give purposely. The first uh, characteristic of the attitude is that we need to give purposefully. The second characteristic is give voluntarily. Don't do it grudgingly or under compulsion, he says. Do it voluntarily. Make a choice to give. Grudgingly literally means with grief sorrow, or sadness. It indicates an attitude of sadness and regret and reluctance because you're giving out of a sense of duty and obligation, not joy. If our giving causes sadness, 
and reluctance and regret, then we're probably not giving with the right attitude. He says, don't give under compulsion. This refers to external pressure and coercion. We feel forced to give. And we we say, well, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. I don't have a choice, so I've just got to do it. I have to give. We're not to give because we feel obligated out of duty to give. We're to give because we want to give. We want to give to the needs of others. We want to be part of God's work. And so we give because we want to help and to be part of something bigger. Third characteristic, give cheerfully. He says God loves a cheerful giver. That's referring to the person who is happily committed to generous giving. The Greek word for cheerful is the word from which we get our English word hilarious. Uh, It suggests that God loves a heart that is just enthusiastically thrilled with the pleasure of giving. It's hilarious joy. And there are many of you in this room, in this church, that are hilarious givers, that are, you give with a smile on your face. This church is very generous. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this verse, and I put the quote up here. Our giving must come from the heart, and the motive in the heart must please God. We must not be sad givers who give grudgingly, or mad givers who give because we have to, of necessity, but we should be glad givers who cheerfully share what we have because we have experienced the grace of God. So the question for you to think about, are you a sad giver? Are you a mad giver? Are you a glad giver? You know, when I was on staff at Uh, Western Kentucky with Campus Crusade, my director the first two years there had the gift of giving. Pete just loved to give money. And he looked for ways and places that he could give. And remember, he's on staff at Crusade. We didn't make much money. But he would look for ways to even make money, not for himself and his family. He wanted to find ways to make money so he could give that money away to something that was necessary, that needed it. He was amazing, and I remember talking to him one day, um, and he said he had, God had given him a goal that he felt God was asking him to give a certain amount of money, and it was some huge amount, I can't remember exactly how much, this huge amount of money to the kingdom work before he turned 40. And he was well on his way to doing it. Pete had a heart for giving. He was a, a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. But our nature, our typical nature, is to hang on to our money. Because we want to make sure we can provide for our, our own needs. How can we give with the attitude that Paul talks about here? How can we give purposefully and voluntarily and cheerfully, how can we become a glad giver? Well, the key is found in the very next verse, verse 8. 
when he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He's saying give, and God will make sure that you have all you need for what God is asking you to do. You will have an abundance as you give. Give generously and trust that God will provide for you as you provide for others. That's the proper attitude to make us battle ready. But now let's look at the results of giving and and how it helps us become battle ready. The results are found in chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. And there are three results in those verses. The first result is that our giving supplies the needs of the saints. At the very beginning of verse 12, he says, for the ministry of this service, talking about the service of giving, it's not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, and I'm going to stop there, because when we give, we are supplying the needs of the saints. When you give to your church, You're not just providing salaries for the staff, which you do, and we're grateful. But you're also providing money to pay for the utilities, to pay for the carpet, to pay for uh, the ministries in your church to, to go on. We could not do the ministries that are going on if we didn't have giving. When you give to support missionaries, you're providing for their needs so that they can minister to others where God has called them to minister. And so the first result of our giving is that it supplies the needs of the saints. A second result of giving is that it produces thanksgiving to God. We see that in the second part of verse 12. Again, he begins at the beginning of the verse for this ministry The ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. In the verse before this, he tells them, your giving is producing thanksgiving to God. And then we see it again in this verse. As we see needs met through giving, we thank God for his provision. You know, I've told you, I was on staff with Campus Crusade 10 years, and I had to raise support all 10 years. And for me, it was never easy. Uh, that support didn't just come rolling in all of a sudden, like some of my friends, you know, they have their support in a month. And uh, it was hard, and it was challenging. But I can tell you that every time that that support came in, I would go to my knees. There were times I would actually lay on the floor face down and just thank God for providing. It is a a walk of faith when you are trusting God to provide those funds. Every mission trip I've gone on, we've had to rely on support from friends and family. I wish I was independently wealthy and could just pay my way to go every time, but I can't. And so we have to trust that people will feel led to be part of the work in these countries and give accordingly. And every time that I see the giving and and 
the money come in, again, it takes me to my knees to say, God, thank you for giving, for the giving of these, these sisters and brothers. It produces Thanksgiving. You know, I shared earlier that we're getting ready to go on a trip. In uh, however many days I said, I'm trying to forget. Uh, Dawn's trying to forget how many days. You know, it, it makes me nervous. But I will tell you that as we see God provide, it will bring thanksgiving. God reminds me over and over of how he will provide and how he has in the past. You know, giving to others meets our needs. Um, as we, as we give, it, it meets the needs of people that we're giving to, but it also meets the needs of those people that are being ministered to. And so it's got a far-reaching impact. A third result of giving is that our giving brings glory to God. We see this in verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, again, he's talking about the ministry of giving, they talking about the saints in Jerusalem, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. A result of giving is that not only will thanks be giving, given, but God will be glorified through our giving as it meets the needs of the saints. It, it allows God's work to go on. And in verse 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And he's not talking about a financial gift here. He's talking about the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That indescribable gift, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would have eternal life. God is the first giver as he gave himself to us in the person of his son. Our giving is an act of worship for this indescribable gift that God has given us. But do we look at it as an act of worship or as something we have to do? So if we're going to be battle ready for this battle, for our money, we need to first, we need to have the right attitude. Second, we need to understand the results of our giving. And third, we need to be aware of the hindrances to giving. And Paul points out two hindrances in this chapter. The first hindrance is covetousness. In verse 5, he told them that he sent the brothers ahead to help them prepare their gift they had promised so that his, this bountiful gift would not be affected by covetousness. And that word has been defined as a grasping to get more of something and keep it at the expense of others. Covetousness emphasizes selfishness and pride. I want this for myself. I mean, I, I don't want to let go of this. I need this money. If I give my money away, then I can't buy this thing that I wanted to buy for myself. If I give this money away, how am I going to take care of my own needs? Covetousness is a hindrance to giving. And Paul warns against it. 
But a second hindrance to giving is a lack of faith. And Paul refers throughout this chapter to God giving us an abundance as we give. You know, he he says that he who supplies our seed will multiply that seed as we sow. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. God is going to take care of us. We just need to trust that. And sometimes we're reluctant to give because we don't trust that God's going to provide. And unless we see God as our faithful provider, that's, who's going to meet our needs, we're not going to be able to give in a way that pleases him. So a question for you to think about. Is your giving a cause of worry or an act of worship? So the first battle we've looked at from this passage is the battle for our money in 2 Corinthians 9. And we need to be battle ready by having the right attitude. We need to understand the results And we need to be aware of the hindrances. Now, I told you at the beginning, we're spending most of our time on that battle. But we're going to move to the second battle, which I'm not spending as much time on. But the second battle we fight is the battle for our minds. Corinthians 10. We have thoughts and beliefs going at each other, warring in our minds every day, every moment. And so I want to look at two things about this battle for the mind. First, I want to look at the enemy. We have two major enemies putting thoughts into our minds that oppose God's truth, the world and Satan. And the Corinthians were fighting the battle for their minds as these false teachers were trying to lure them away from God's truth. They were bombarding them with false truths. And today we are bombarded with words and thoughts every day that oppose God's truth. There is a battle for our minds that we are fighting every day. And the world tells us things like, the Bible isn't relevant today. It's okay to do that. That book is no longer... Live in the 21st century. Times have changed. Everybody's doing it. These are thoughts that are bombarding you know, our minds Do what you want to do. Don't pay attention to an ancient book that has no relevance today. Remember a few years ago, for those of you that were in Heart to Heart, if you remember, I showed you a video clip of Victoria Osteen, um, the wife of Joel Osteen down at the church in Houston, and she gave that sermon about God wants you to be happy. That's what he wants So just do what makes you happy, because that's what God wants. Remember that video clip? I've never forgotten it, obviously. Because it disturbs you when you hear her saying that, because you know that is not God's truth today. But that is the kind of lies that are being put into our minds. Just do what you want to do. That's what God wants. He wants you to be happy. But the truth is is that God wants us to obey his word. And sometimes obeying his word isn't going to be easy. And it's not going to necessarily make us happy. It will give us joy. But sometimes what God asks us to do in obedience isn't 
what we think is going to make us happy. We want to go have an affair with somebody. And, okay, that's going to make me happy. Let me go do it. And it might give you happiness for one night. But that is not the kind of happiness that God wants to give us. But Satan's also a part of that battle of the mind. Because he loves to put thoughts in our minds that aren't true, that make us doubt God's love. That's exactly what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was having Eve beginning to question God. And we begin to have unhealthy thoughts like, how could anybody love you? You're, you're of no value. You should be ashamed of yourself for what you did back then or what somebody did to you. You should be ashamed. You're a failure. God can't use you. And on and on, those thoughts just come at us all day long. It is an ongoing battle, the battle for our minds. And who are we going to believe? Who are we going to listen to? God or the world and Satan? Every marital affair or sexual sin begins in the mind with a thought. So how do we fight this battle of the mind? How do we get battle ready? Well, the second area I want to look at is the weapons to fight the battle of the mind. We can't do it in our own power. We can't do it in our own strength. We need God's divinely powerful weapons that he has given us to fight this battle for the minds. And the first weapon is God's truth, his word. We know that. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 10, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, fight the battle for your mind. Fight those untruths with God's truth. And so one of those divine weapons that leads us to victory is God's word. He says, take every thought captive. In other words, don't let your thoughts just run wild and get out of control, convincing you that this is true, when it's not. You know, dreaming about a temptation or beating yourself up thinking that you're nobody, those are, they begin with thoughts. But when we find those thoughts attacking us, that's when we need to fight those thoughts with God's word. When I was on crusade staff, I remember Nate Bailey telling us, when you start having those thoughts come in, you get a journal and you start writing down, God, I feel this way. And I remember writing, God, I don't feel like you love me. But your word says right here in John three sixteen, you love me. And I would just write out verse after verse after verse to combat those thoughts that I was thinking And that's how we fight those thoughts with God's word. That's why it is so important that we're in God's word. And the second weapon is prayer. Paul talks about the spiritual battle that we face in another letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, he talks about this spiritual battle, and he tells us to put on the armor of God. And two of the weapons that he talks about 
In Ephesians 6 are the Word of God and prayer. Two weapons of divine power. And that's another reason why we value your praying for us when we go on this trip in six weeks. Because prayer is so vital to all the battles that we're going to face. And I can tell you the enemy is going to be after us when we go because he always is. We need you to pray and help us fight the battle for our thoughts and the minds. So a question for you to consider. Are your thoughts edifying or destructive? Do they build up or do they tear down the work of God in you? Who's winning the battle for your mind? God or the enemy, the world, Satan? Use those weapons that God has given you to fight the battle for the mind. Well, in these two chapters of 2 Corinthians, we've looked at two battles we face every day, the battle for our money and the battle for our mind. Are you battle ready? You know, I loved fighting my make-believe battles when I was a little girl. They were fun. But I don't like fighting these real-life battles today. But my divinely powerful weapons are so much better than my little make-believe weapons. So what's the key to winning the battle for our money and our minds? It comes back to our theme word for our women's ministry this year. Y'all remember what our theme word is? Good, you remember. Trust. It comes back to that one word, trust. We win the battle for our money by trusting God as our provider. We win that battle if we trust that he's going to take care of us. And we win the battle for our minds by trusting God as the truth. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Do we trust that? Do we trust That his truth in the Bible is still relevant today? Yes, it is. But it comes down to trust. That's how we become battle ready. And I ask you one more time. Are you battle ready to fight these battles? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we don't go into battle alone. I thank you that... We have you right there with us every step of the way. And you have given us all we need to win these battles, to defeat the enemy against our mind and our money. But Lord, I pray that we would definitely put on that armor and go out and we'd fight and we'd win. And we'd not let the world or Satan sway us away. That we'd not let our fear of what if Keep us from being generous in our giving. Lord, we want to be battle ready and we want to be good soldiers for your kingdom. And so I pray that would be true of each one of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.